Good morning, friends, members, and listeners to the podcast service of the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. My name's Brian, and I'm joined this morning by the usual suspects, Margaret and Donica and Julie, and it's wonderful that you joined us this morning or this afternoon or whenever you downloaded the service. I want to invite everyone now into a spirit of worship. Center yourself as you do. If you're following along at home and you have the order of service, you're welcome to join me in reciting the church's chalice sliding, or you can just sit back and relax. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Our opening hymn fits in with the season of Advent. You're welcome to sing along, people, look east now.
Hello, it's Julie here. Lately, I hear a lot of people talk about waiting. Spiritually, this time of year is all about waiting. Some of us are waiting for the darkest day so the sun can start to make her return. Some of us are waiting for Jesus. And some of us are simply waiting for people to start showing a little more kindness to each other. But that's not the only waiting I'm hearing about. We're also waiting for a vaccine. Some of us are waiting every day for new numbers to be released. We're waiting for the arguing to end and for us to just get on with it. We're waiting for our phone to ring or for our set weekly FaceTime with a family member or friend. We're waiting for medical appointments. We're waiting for test results. We're waiting for court cases to wrap up and a new president to move in. We're waiting for the school week or work week to end. We're waiting for Santa. And some of us are just waiting for this season to be over because this time of year is really hard for us. I'm waiting for it to be safe to travel because all of my family lives in the western part of this country and at this point, I haven't been able to be with them for almost a year and a half, and I miss them. My neighbor is waiting for snow. My boys are constantly waiting for a time they'll be able to play video games. My daughter is waiting for the third season of Cobra Kai to be released. Maybe your family does a lot of baking this time of year, and right this minute, you could be waiting for cookies to bake or cookies to cool, or cookies to be ready to eat. Maybe a few presents have shown up under your Christmas tree, and you're waiting for the day you can open them. We all seem to be waiting. And in all this talk about waiting, I haven't heard a single person say that waiting is fun, or that they love waiting, or that they're super excited to do more waiting. Waiting is hard. It's hard for everyone. Your age doesn't matter. It's hard to be still, but it's especially hard to be still when you're excited about something that's coming. A deary named Paula Gribble recently wrote a poem about waiting for the children at the UU Church of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where she serves, and she gave me permission to share it with you. It's called, In the Meantime. When you're stuck in the meantime, between this and that, you're waiting and waiting, tired of where you are at. You want to move forward. You might even move back. But the meantime has got you like a meantime attack. Why can't it be nice time? Why can't it be fun? Why can't it be over? Why can't it be done? You might try some reading, some baking or craft, you might try to build things or make people laugh. And sometimes the meantime is okay for a while. When you've been super busy, like you've run 18 miles, but then it gets harder to wait and to wait. The days seem much darker, the time a stalled state. The meantime is mean, it's hard to endure. It seems like forever, like there's never a cure. Sometimes we're just stuck between that thing and this. Waiting may seem so hard and was never your wish. 
But I promise it ends. The meantime will stop. We'll get to move forward, move up to the top. So just hold on for now. Hold tight if you can. Read, bake, build, or sew. Yes, that's a good plan. And know you have others to lean on. It's true. Know at least you have one, because I know I love you. So while I can't really tell you much that will make waiting easier, because waiting is just hard, I can remind you that you aren't alone in the waiting or in general. You've got me, and you've got Brian. You've got Donica and Margaret, and you've got each other. Remember that. Remember to ask for help when you need it and to offer help to others when you have a little extra to give. And now we'll sing our children's song. This morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, beginning in the book, or rather in the chapter 61, going from verses 1 through 4, and then 8 through 11. And the prophet says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks, of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For God has clothed me with the garments of salvation, covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Therein ends our reading.
We tend to manage life more than just live it. There are so many options and so many opportunities for distraction. I was just checking in with some friends recently and one of them commented how even in the pandemic, there's so much competing for our attention. My friend asked rhetorically, is it just me or is talking about how busy you are a status symbol these days? All the options. All the busyness and talking about the busyness gives us the illusion that so much is within our control and to some extent a lot is ours to choose. But this busyness, the belief that we have the ability to control life, at least from a religious perspective, is heresy. The spiritual teacher Barbara Holmes says, and I quote, We are beckoned by blazing sunsets and the pictures returned by powerful telescopic lenses. Yet on any given day, we court a busyness that beguiles us into focusing on the limited perspectives in our immediate space. End quote. Our human minds have a tendency to obsess with a past we're trying to recreate or a future we're trying to engineer. And we like busyness because we can't wait to escape right now. And to this, religion says, wrong again. Our faith beckons us to look at what's happening right in front of you, which brings us to this morning's first point. Advent is a season in which the past and present collide. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, that means coming or arrival, and it celebrates the church's anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And the story of Jesus' birth begins with his mother Mary, of course, who is visited by an angel who tells her that soon she'll give birth to a very special child. Now, liberal Protestants have a tendency to sound like college kids in a freshman philosophy class whenever Mary's pregnancy comes up. We get all hung up on the virgin conception. We've read about things like the historical critical method and our subscription to the New Yorker. And so we're like, nope, we ain't going to buy it. But do me a favor, since it's almost Christmas, and keep your inner college freshman at bay for the next 10 minutes and think instead about this. Mary said yes. Let's think about this yes in our context for a moment. 
Have you ever stopped to think that maybe Mary was busy just like us? After all, she was engaged to be married. Others in her house, her cousin specifically, was also pregnant and probably counting on Mary to help out with all the virtual learning or at least help driving the family van to cross-country ski practice. And Mary's loving fiancé, Joseph, was probably counting on her to arrange the wedding plans because most men are useless in this department. The point is, here's a woman whose yes is a yes to care to patience, to sacrifice, to life in the midst of busyness. Nowhere do we read that Mary reached into her pocket to check her iPhone first. Mary just said yes. And here's the lesson I want us to draw from this. We cannot manage, manipulate, or control spiritual energy. Spiritual energy is sort of like a garden— We can tend the soil, plant the seeds, and manage it just so, but what causes the seed to burst forth and bear fruit is energy beyond anyone's control. Our job is to be present to life in the midst of unknowing, to have faith that what brings life to life is the work we do in our highest callings, as husbands and wives, as friends and neighbors, as citizens who bind and grow rather than tend the shallow gardens of our tiny little egos. In today's reading from Isaiah, the prophet says, and I remind you, for as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause justice and righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. What the prophet is getting at is that at some point, nobody, not you, not me, none of us, can manage God's work in the world. And we cannot create our own worthiness by our performance in it. That's Unitarian Universalism's first principle in a nutshell. And it's in this season of Advent's darkness that we meditate on just how limited we are despite our best efforts to convince ourselves otherwise. Advent dares us to delay the merriment of Christmas, all the joy, the presents, the spiked eggnog, so that we can meditate on all that's lost in the world and all that's lost in the people in it, ourselves included. So just a few days ago, I stumbled on a particularly Advent message in the Wausau Daily Herald. The article profiled a few Wisconsinites who, without good journalism, would be unknown to us. They would just be statistics counted among the 10.7 million people in the United States who are without jobs and incomes because of the ongoing economic recession. In particular, the article profiled a woman by the name of Crystal Yelk who was let go from her job as an education assistant in the Oregon School District back when the pandemic started. Unemployed for months, Ms. Yelk has sunk deep into debt. She's been paying her rent and her bills with credit cards without one penny of help from unemployment insurance. And so in this article, Ms. Yelk tells the reporter, and I quote, I cannot wait another seven months. I didn't want to be on unemployment. I was forced on unemployment. And they just have no help, 
and they have no answers. No help and no answers. That is darkness, my friends. When you pause on this side of Christmas joy, the darkness at work in our world shows all around. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. Most of us feel like we've been living in Advent darkness for months and that we deserve a break and a little bit of Christmas cheer. And we will get there on Christmas Eve, I promise. But until then, the faith we practice demands that we reach out to people on the margins, even if it's only with our care and prayer, even if there's nothing Nothing we can personally do to change the fact that 10.7 million people want to work, but they can't find it. I stumbled on another Advent message after my wife put a book on my nightstand by the Buddhist nun Pima Chodron. Near the beginning, Pima writes, On a very basic level, all beings think they should be happy. When life becomes difficult or painful, we feel that something has gone wrong. But difficulty is inevitable in human life. There's illness, aging, not getting what we want. But these are facts of life. What Buddhist teachings say is that it's not these things that cause us misery. The misery comes when we try avoiding the pain. Pima goes on saying, it is so basic in us to feel that things should go well for us and that if we start to feel depressed, lonely, or inadequate, there's been some kind of mistake or we've lost it. But in reality, when you feel depressed, lonely, betrayed, or any unwanted feelings, this is an important moment on the spiritual path. It's this for Pima. It's this. This is when transformation can take place. Advent invites us to meditate on the misery in the world and ourselves so that we can begin the process of transformation. The Anglican priest Tish Warren says to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. You see, the world, our world, It's filled with sickness and pain, with suffering and sadness. And we, my dear friends, our bodies and lives are filled with those things too, a fact so evident in this pandemic. But what this season dares us to remember is that accomplishment begins in struggle, that there would be no such thing as reunion without separation first. No light without darkness, and love would be nothing without loss. Christmas would be wasted if we didn't stop for a time to see that hope and love and joy has the power to cut through the deepest dark. Howard Thurman wrote, An endless process of births is the perpetual answer of life to the fact of death. Let me summarize what that means. Life just keeps coming. It searches for its own fulfillment, even and especially in the face of misery. Why else would the birth rate go up in times of war? And who knows, maybe it goes up in pandemics too. Life's persistence proves that there is something more authentic than anything designed by human minds, 
which brings me back to the beginning, to Mary and her yes. Mary's yes is a yes to an imagination filled with God's promise of reconciliation and faithfulness. It's the same vision that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of when he said that he had been to the mountaintop where God showed him the promised land of racial equality in America. But just as Dr. King promised, like Moses before him, he wouldn't sing anything other than the dream he had of God's promised land. Because five days after preaching those very words, he'd be shot dead on a hotel balcony in Memphis. But it is this holy yes of Isaiah's and Mary's and Martin's that show us that what allows our spirits to dream of an otherized world is a sanctified imagination that says yes. Without it, we'd never know dreams or hope or love. How else would we put ourselves into the life of someone else and feel and see the world as they do? Advent begins in the dark. It asks us to meditate on our powerlessness and stare into the fact that pain is unavoidable. Transformation begins when we stop pruning the tiny gardens of our egos, when we stop running from misery, when we say yes to the light and the hope that Advent points to, and do, as the poet Mary Oliver says, lose thyself in this soft world. Sit in the untrimmable light and listen to the prayers that are made out of grass. If you want to be a part of the work that breaks the chains of darkness in our world, then you start by saying yes to changing your habits. You start by saying yes to standing up for justice, to speaking the truth, to curbing your spending, raising your pledge. If you want to see God's activity in the world, look out for those tiny signs of faithfulness and love and mercy that happen when people like you, when people like me, say yes to the Spirit when it comes knocking. And if you would, please join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. O oh, spirit of waiting, we know in ways beyond the words our tongues can speak that goodness is present alongside all the irony and agony of life. We wonder why it is so difficult to live together in community and why we struggle over what it means to be good and how to do it here and now. How can we be vessels of good news to each other and to those around us who are in need? We, we claim the promise of prophets, comfort for those who mourn a garland instead of ashes. We watch with deep conviction as fear and fighting seem to hold the upper hand in so many places. We long to know that love is present even though we have trouble seeing it in the suffering. We want a better life for the suffering now and ask, how can we help? Hear now our prayers for those in sorrow and in need, for all those in pain, for all those in sickness, and also for ourselves. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows of our lives. 
and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. The mission and vision of this congregation is made possible by the generous support of our friends and members. We kindly ask that you be a part of the work of this church by making a contribution to the best that you are able. You can swing by the church's website to find out how to give, or you can send in a check to the church's mailing address. And now, the congregation's doxology. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks 
and all shadows flee away. Set us free. Hallelujah. Come to set us free. 